This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Polling stations opened in four Russian-controlled parts of Ukraine, with residents given until Tuesday to vote on whether they want to officially join Russia. Both the Ukrainian government and Western leaders have declared that the referendums are illegitimate and an excuse for annexation. They plan to ignore the results. Meanwhile in Russia, men attempted to leave the country as the Kremlin began its mobilisation campaign. Miles-long queues were reported at the Georgian border, while the price of flights have rocketed. Kwasi Kwarteng, Britain's finance minister, unveiled a mini-budget designed to boost growth through tax cuts and increased government spending. Stamp duty, a tax on buying property, will be cut. A planned increase of corporation tax will be cancelled and low-tax investment zones will be set up across the country. Mr Kwarteng also announced an energy plan worth £60 billion, equivalent to $67 billion, to cap bills for households. Armenia and Azerbaijan accused each other of violating a ceasefire that had been agreed last week. On Friday morning, Armenia's defence ministry announced that Azerbaijani armed forces had fired on Armenian combat positions. In response, Azerbaijan's defence ministry said that Armenia had attacked first. Fighting between the two countries earlier in the month left nearly 200 soldiers dead. Global stock markets sank after several central banks raised interest rates. America's S&P 500 closed at its lowest level in two months. Asia markets followed during early trading on Friday, heading towards a sixth consecutive weekly decline. On Thursday, Britain, Indonesia, Norway and Switzerland raised rates, following an increase in America. Global bond yields have soared in response, as has the value of the dollar. Hong Kong axed its hotel quarantine requirement for inbound travellers. Arrivals will instead go through three days of medical surveillance at home, during which they will be allowed to leave their residences for select destinations, excluding restaurants and bars. Earlier on Friday, Japan also announced the easing of COVID-19 border restrictions from next month, seen as a way to revive tourism and bolster the sliding yen. Ebrahim Raisi, Iran's president, said the death of Masa Amini while in police custody must be steadfastly investigated. Masa Amini died after morality police arrested her for allegedly violating headscarf rules, sparking protests across the country in which human rights groups say 31 people have died. Mr Raisi warned protesters that acts of chaos were unacceptable. American regulators fined Boeing $200 million for making misleading statements following two fatal crashes in 2018 and 2019, involving the manufacturer's 737 MAX airplanes. The Securities and Exchange Commission said that Dennis Mullenberg, then Boeing's boss, knew that a faulty flight control system was to blame for the crashes in Indonesia and Ethiopia, but nevertheless assured the public of the plane's safety. And fact of the day. $1 billion. The annual economic contribution made by the lobster supply chain to the state of Maine. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. China unleashes its strategic pork reserves. The philosophy of China's president, known as Xi Jinping thought, can be maddeningly vague. 
Its aims include realizing the people's new aspirations for a better life, which does not narrow things down much. But on occasion, China's policymaking apparatus fleshes out these skeletal generalities. According to the National Development and Reform Commission, a planning agency, one of the people's expectations for a better life is stable pork prices. With the National Day holiday approaching on October 1st, the commission wants to help families afford a feast on their favorite meat. On Friday, it will release thousands of tons of frozen pork from the state's reserves for the third time this month. This should help restrain prices, which were 22% higher in August than a year ago. The commission has also promised to crack down on price gouging and collusion among food suppliers. It seems producers' aspirations for a better life can make it harder to meet everybody else's. Russia prepares to absorb parts of Ukraine. On Friday, Russian-installed puppet governments in four occupied Ukrainian territories will begin asking residents whether they want to join Russia. As with a similar sham referendum in Crimea in 2014, a yes vote would be a pretext for formal annexation. The polls will take place over five days in Russian-controlled parts of Donetsk, Luhansk, Kherson, and Zaporozhye regions. The process is unlikely to be free or fair. Russian media have published questionable polls predicting between 80% to 91% support. Ukrainian authorities claim the Russians' own polling suggests that no more than 10% of the population will turn out. In Zaporozhye, armed policemen will accompany election officials in door-to-door voting. In a televised address on September 21st, President Vladimir Putin said he would guarantee the annexation process with Russia's full range of weapons, including nuclear ones. Russia's Western adversaries have condemned the plans. France's president, Emmanuel Macron, called the process a parody. Ukraine is urging its citizens not to take part, and for adult men to leave the region in question to avoid being mobilized against their own country. Democrats eye gains in the Senate. In the past 22 American midterm elections, the incumbent president's party has gained Senate seats on only six occasions. Democrats are hoping that Republicans' subpar and incendiary candidates will make November 8th the 7th. Among the competitive races is North Carolina, where Donald Trump will appear at a rally on Friday alongside Ted Budd, a Republican congressman, gun store owner, and co-sponsor of a bill to ban abortions after 15 weeks nationwide. Though Republicans have carried North Carolina in nine of the ten most recent presidential elections, opinion polls have Mr. Budd locked in a dead heat with his Democratic opponent, Sherry Beasley, a mild-mannered former state judge. The Economist's forecast model puts Mr. Budd on top, but his chances are dwindling. The threat of more abortion bans has energized Democrats across the country. 
Just 46% of Americans support the sort Mr. Budd has sponsored. The issue looks likely to help Democrats retain and perhaps expand their Senate majority. Overall, our model suggests Democrats will pick up one Senate seat in November. Britain's Big Mini-Budget On Friday, Kwasi Kwarteng, the new British Chancellor, will launch a budget in all but name. Dubbed a mere fiscal event, Mr. Kwarteng's speech will unveil a host of tax cuts and handouts that will dwarf many bona fide budgets. Most significantly, the government is expected to outline how it intends to pay for an emergency guarantee that could cost over £100 billion, $113 billion, after it pledged to reduce the average annual household bill to around £2,500 from a predicted £6,000. Tax cuts could include reforms to stamp duty, a levy on house sales, as well as an accelerated reduction to the basic rate of income tax. That would be welcomed by voters facing high inflation and rising interest rates, but it would hurt government coffers. Stamp duty brought in nearly £19 billion last year, and unlike a proper budget, the fiscal event will not be accompanied by a full economic forecast by the Statutory Office for Budgetary Responsibility, an official watchdog. Expect spluttering among both wonks and opposition parties. Federer's Farewell After 24 years and more than 1,500 matches, on September 15th, Roger Federer announced he was retiring from professional tennis. Despite the inevitability of the announcement, the 41-year-old has been injured for more than a year, it still shocked the tennis world. Mr. Federer has inspired books, breathless profiles, and more encomiums than any other player on the circuit. Many fans consider him the greatest ever to wield a racket. Some have spent a fortune to watch his final appearance, a devil's match on Friday at the Laver Cup in London. The five-year-old tournament pits top European players against their global counterparts. Mr. Federer, who is Swiss, was one of its founders. Rod Laver, an Australian legend after whom the tournament is named, will be in the audience. Mr. Federer's greatest rivals will be there too. Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal will be his teammates. Mr. Nadal will even be his doubles partner. Mr. Federer says the cup is the perfect platform for him to properly say goodbye. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Friday in which novel by Charles Dickens does Thomas Gardgrind declare, Teach these boys and girls nothing but facts? Thursday. 
which Carrie caught for babies, is named after a biblical figure. The winners of last week's crossword. Thank you to everyone who took part in our weekly crossword published in the weekend edition of Espresso. The winners chosen at random from each continent were Asia, Nirlana Dunyamalieva, Baku, Azerbaijan, North America, Rebecca Clements, Toronto, Canada, Central and South America, Sebastian Agudelo Restrepo, Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic, Europe, Rasmus Joland, Stockholm, Sweden, Africa, Daniel Malamy, Makanda, South Africa, Oceania, Kevin Fernandez, Melbourne, Australia. They all gave the correct answers of meritocracy, murder, opted, and yellow. Check back tomorrow for this week's crossword. And finally, here's the quote of the day from Pablo Neruda, who died on this day in 1973. If nothing saves us from death, at least love should save us from life. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.